I have to have that holistic view of myself and the type of person that I want to be. And I can't compromise myself in order to just achieve and be perceived as successful to other people. The quickest way to crash and burn your business and life is to place your worthiness and safety with the opinions of others. Now, this may sound like a Captain Obvious statement, but the pull to care what others think is something fierce and it is so sneaky. The competitive drive is no stranger to many of you. In fact, it's often the norm. Honoring your boundaries around healthy competition is hard in a world that constantly tells us we're not enough. And it doesn't help that our own self-talk attacks our sense of enough too. So when not checked, healthy competition and ambition can lead to the protectors of scarcity and comparison overwhelming you. This happens quickly when you're not clear on your values, when you're not clear on your definition of success, and when you're not clear on your boundaries. Without these anchors in place, the powerful drive to win and achieve can quickly warp to a singular focus on another person or another business. Success is then based on comparison and moves you away from what matters most. I know I have a hard time navigating competition and my own ambition when the world is telling me I'm never enough. I love, love a little or a lot of healthy competition, but it so easily turns into feeling inadequate and unworthy. When I am not leaning on my values, I am not focused on my definition of success and honoring my boundaries, I lose myself in comparison. And I can't lead well when I'm obsessed with what others are doing and what they might think of me. When you care too much about what others think, you compromise your values in addition to your work and your well-being. This is hard to catch because we live in a world that celebrates and even idolizes full body sacrifice for success. And if success happens at the cost of your values and well-being, then burnout is inevitable. I'm Rebecca Ching, and you're listening to The Unburdened Leader, the show that goes deep with leaders whose burdens have inspired their life's work. Our goal is to learn how they've addressed these burdens how they rise from them and become better and more impactful leaders of themselves and others. Burnout is real, way too real. Burnout shuts down your flow, it kills your creativity, and it can leave you feeling like a failure for getting to a place where pushing through no longer works. Leading from the space of burnout robs your confidence and fuels the beliefs of imposter experience. It is a vicious cycle. And we live in a culture that often celebrates full body sacrifice in the name of success. Now, I see some pushback to the cultural celebration of this approach to work, but we still have a long way to go in shifting this message. My first job out of college in Washington, D.C. for a United States senator ingrained a lot of the distorted messages in me about work, success and burnout. And it was all hiding behind a process I deeply believed in. So my passions and values became entangled with my work and my worthiness. Working weekends was the standard. Now, I'll be honest, this was fun at the time. There were so many exciting things happening. And even my romantic interest was at the same time and going from the same mindset of working weekends and being all in. But the thrill eventually wore off and I started to question the pace of it all. And because everything was so intertwined, it felt like I was betraying the work I so deeply believed in, just even questioning it. 
So in a field where one of the most valuable resources is the opinions of others, it warped my impressionable early 20-something mind and sense of identity. It was a petri dish that took my work ethic and love of the political process and molded a view of myself in the world that led to an inflated view of what was enough and what it meant to be enough. As a result, my work ethic blurred into overfunctioning and a fear of not being seen as committed enough. I remember one time I went to the gym during the dinner hour. I know the nerve of me on a weekday. I turned my ginormous 1990s cell phone with those antennas you had to pull up and down and my clunker of a pager off while I worked out. Makes sense, right? Well, when I turned the tech back on, I found several messages from a colleague saying he was frustrated he could not get a hold of me immediately. So I immediately called him back and explained what I was doing, but he was still frustrated I was not immediately accessible. So after that exchange, it was hard to shake the worry whenever I turned off of work mode. And that led to me carrying that obnoxious technology with me even during my workouts. And so I was left feeling drained and depleted because I never turned off of work. I also remember one Monday morning at the office where a few other colleagues gathered around my desk debriefing their weekend, comparing notes on who worked the most hours at the office. This moment stood out to me as these colleagues had two decades on me and were some of the best leaders in their areas of legislative and political experience. I admired their work ethic, their brilliance, and their deep love of the legislative and political process along with their dedication to serving my boss's constituents and our country. Their work was making the world a better place. And I also saw the toll their work hours took on their health and their relationships and how this was also seen as a noble sacrifice. It took me several years to redefine what success was to me, but I remember that water cooler moment as one that began a big rumble with achievement and the reasons that fueled my drive for success. Masking your fears of failure with a business or work that meets the externalized standards of success is seductive, and it's also not sustainable. It's also easy to be clear on your values and still experience burnout. I see this happen when leaders and business owners are in seasons where there are multiple opportunities that are aligned. I know I've experienced that myself too, but when there's not enough time and resources, saying yes to great opportunities you've been working on can also lead to burnout. So staying clear on your definition of success, along with constantly recalibrating and living your values is a lifelong tension. My conversation with Natalie Borton in this episode of The Unburdened Leader digs deep into these lifelong tensions around navigating where your definition of success lies, along with the power of staying clear on your core values and taking care of your well-being. Natalie is a San Diego-based mom and someone I've known for over a decade. She is a wife entrepreneur who is passionate about positivity, authenticity, and simplicity. She designs minimalist California-inspired jewelry, which I own several pieces of for everyday wear, and educates many on making the most out of your wardrobe, living more confidently, and pursuing your dreams honestly and wholeheartedly. Pay attention to how Natalie lives her values of positivity. She has a really powerful and unique approach that's definitely worth considering. Notice the key learnings Natalie had on the other side of an incredible work opportunity that shook her health. 
Listen to how Natalie rumbles with her ambitions and her ever-evolving definition of success. And don't miss how Natalie has infused the wisdom she earned in her recovery into her business and her platform. Now, please join me in welcoming Natalie Borton to the Unburdened Leader podcast. Natalie, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be here. I have been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, and we were just talking before we started recording about all the things we could talk about, but today I'm going to really dive in deep about just your work, how you run your business, and I just think there's so many lessons uh, to learn from you. I know I've learned so much from you over the years, so in typical unburdened leader fashion, we kind of dive right right in, <laughs> go deep quickly. And, <laughs> and one of the things I know we've connected on over the years and, and been aligned on, but you've been very vocal and intentional about integrating and sharing your views on body image, non-diet approaches, and size acceptance, along with your mm-hmm. own personal struggles in these areas, into your work as a stylist and a jewelry designer. You've been so intentional about it. And I would love for you to share what was behind your decision to integrate these issues into your work. Yeah, thank you. It's a good question. I I kind of feel like there was no way I would do any business that wasn't going to somehow incorporate this. To me, it's just so important and not just for the issue that it is, but is such a big piece of my own story, of my own transition into the adult and woman and businesswoman that I became. You know, my eating disorder struggles really took place in my late teen years and then through my 20s when I was becoming the woman that I was going to become and becoming the business person that I am now. And so it really, it shaped me. And I think it's just, it's something that just has become so important to me. There was no way that it wasn't going to like ooze out of me in all of my business contexts as well. And, And certainly, you know, with a business that is so focused on style and you know the fashion industry has been you know it's it can be a beautiful industry and it's also been an industry that's caused a lot of damage in so many ways with you know the bodies that it celebrates and the the celebration of disordered eating and all that and so being in that industry and then having my own past you know overcoming these issues and seeing so many of my friends whether it's you know clinically diagnosed eating disorders or disordered eating or just you know, body image issues, fashion and body issues tend to go hand in hand. And so just seeing an opportunity there to see style for what it is, which is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be for us. We're supposed to, you know, it it can be such a beautiful, enjoyable thing. I found so much freedom and self-acceptance in my own, like in my own style journey, really in asking myself, what do I like to wear? What makes me feel good? What makes me feel like me? How can I express myself through this? And less about how can I look smaller, you know, and just wearing what makes my body look whatever way I think I'm supposed to look. And so it just sort of happened naturally and evolved. And I'm so happy that it's become so central to my business, especially, you know, for things like this, I've, this is maybe my fourth or fifth podcast interview I've done. And I've never been on a podcast where this issue has not come up in the podcast. And that makes me so happy because I love talking about these issues and I'm so passionate about it. And so uh, yeah, it, I think it just, it was inevitable. There was no way I was going to start a business and this wasn't going to be so core to to what I was sharing about and, and really have a big platform, you know, to share from. You know, I have 
a great community and it just feels like the right the right thing to do honestly it's just important to me well and i've really i mean you you know that i've in my clinical work i've i've worked with helping people heal on the disorder eating spectrum and seeing the darkness and the insidiousness of it mm-hmm. and and part of that sometimes was rejecting the fashion world or paying attention to those things because mm-hmm. of the dark side of it but yes. what i've loved about watching you and and i'm and i'm a tomboy at heart so honestly i was that girl <laughs> in high school it was like why are people keep going to the bathroom to fix their makeup or their hair like right. <laughs> i was like one one and done and I mean, I still went through a t- bottle of freezing shine. It was the 80s, Natalie. So a bottle <laughs> of freezing shine a week. I had some epically big red hair. Then, but but what I've loved is this kind of way you are true, but you're not hot wiring connection. You're not going into the deep, dark, insidious nature of you know your own struggles because that's a contagion. And I've seen that so much. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm mm-hmm. curious, how have you decided what to share? Like what stays private and what do you share? Tell me and share a little bit with our listeners, your decision tree on how you work through sharing what's so important to you, but what is for community and what is just private for you and your inner circle? Yeah, I, I think that it's key that I'm coming from a place of health at this point. And it probably, my decisions would be different if I was really still in the muck of recovery. And, you know, so I've, I've shared way more over the past, you know, several years because I'm coming from a place of, of health and looking back on the experience rather than really in it. And that's not to say that people shouldn't share when they're in it. There's a lot of value in that as well. But I do think it's it's easier to share because it's I'm looking back on it and I'm not just I'm not in it and so it's not muddied you know it's not muddying my healing experience I that's something that I experienced and that I went through and I'm coming from a place of healing and so it just feels a lot more natural to share and it doesn't feel you know intrusive or hindering to my own health to share it 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 feels like it would be a disservice to my community to not share about that. You know, I don't share about it constantly. I don't, my my Instagram account isn't solely dedicated to that. I really largely share about style, but I, I feel like I can't totally share about style without also addressing size inclusivity because that is huge in the fashion industry and access to fashion for people of different sizes. And then that, you know, taps into my own experience with my eating disorder and, you know, then also diet culture is so prevalent and and weirdly intertwined with what we wear and our style and people enter into these disordered eating behaviors in connection with what they want to wear and it's very intermixed so i really always try to share from a place of helpfulness you know and and hopefully if if anyone follows along and has been helped by me sharing a bit of my story and my experience and and me sharing maybe a smidge of hope on the other side then that makes it worth it to share about these things. You know, and it's been really cool to watch because you do share, like you won't share sizes anymore. And I've really appreciated that. And you talk, you've talked about why you don't want to get caught Mm -hmm. into the comparison and numbers, but you always are like, got my regular size or sized up, sized Mm -hmm. down. I love how you still are like helpful and you're not Mm -hmm. making a big deal out of it. It just feels so natural. And I, I think one of the biggest lessons for all of us is when we're sharing something personal, are we doing it from a place where of health, a place we've worked through it and mm-hmm. we have space from it. And yes, there are those nuanced times when we're in it 
to mm-hmm. share. But man, I, I mean, you and I both know in, in the online space, it's that's few and far between. And so mm-hmm. I just I really appreciate how you navigate that and everything. Is this helpful? Is this from a place of health is what I'm hearing? And mm-hmm. it sounds like and because it's yes. true, true to you, it would be inauthentic for you not to talk about these things. And, you know, right. <laughs> long ago, there was, I can't remember if it was sometime this year, but, and it's been a couple of times where you're like, and I just got a message of someone telling me that this wasn't flattering on me. And I'm just, and yeah. I just want to say, like, <laughs> you know, and you, you so respectfully, instead of like calling them out, you called everyone up saying, you don't need to say this stuff. Some things we can just keep to ourselves. It was like, well yeah. done, Natalie. Cause, cause you know, we are living in a culture of like critics for blood sport. It's nasty. Mm-hmm. And I know you, I know yes. you've seen and experienced that. So I just, I'm, I'm really grateful for that too. You also hold people accountable when they're crossing those lines. So you've done a beautiful job in that. So how do you, so what motivates you? And I think you touch on this a little bit already, but what motivates you to keep integrating these issues with your life's work? I guess, I mean, really, especially becoming a mother, it feels even more important, you know, and, and really it's, I feel like it's a mix. I see, I still have friends who struggle with these issues and that to me, that is a bit of a, a burden to me, not in a, I don't know, maybe burden isn't the right word, but I, I do feel, I want to see them experience freedom that I'm now experiencing and I know everyone's journey is different and I never want to come from a place of, you know, preachiness or holier than thou or just live your life like me because I know everything. But oh. being on the other side of it, seeing another way, I, you know, that it I want to just see them experience their life more fully. And it's it's amazing to see the difference between the the way I spent my time in my 20s versus how incredibly full my life is now that I am not consumed in diet culture and, you know, changing my size and my looks and just deepening my own self-acceptance has been really powerful and really beautiful. And then, like I said, with having children, you know, I have two kids, I have a son and a daughter, and I just don't want that to be their world. I've already seen there's a huge difference in what I'm experiencing now in my 30s versus what my parents experienced in their 30s with their the pressure that they had with you know what they were supposed to look like and and I'm experiencing so much freedom and I just hope that that's just not something that you know my kids need to to deal with and that you know I can be a positive influence in that way. And I don't know, it's just, it's to me, I'm like, let's stop wasting our time on all of this. There's so much more that life has to offer than all of this. And, and that's not to be dismissive of like the very, there's also like very serious real issues with like weight stigma. And I don't want to make light of that. Cause that's a very, that's a whole other issue. But yeah, I think, I think I'm very motivated by seeing friends who are currently still like in that cycle and still struggling. And then you know, as a mother, just trying to make the world a, a better place for them and for, you know, what they're going to experience when they're adults. You know, it, it is something we can't disconnect and compartmentalize our lives. It, we, it's, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people try to with their work, especially yeah. kind of with when a lot of your work is in the online space, but in general, we're kind of like, this is my home life. This is my work life. And we'll be bifurcated. We're bifurcating mm-hmm. ourselves. And yeah. that's, and when we're not living an integrated life that way, mm-hmm. I think we end up doing harm to ourselves and it shows up in mm-hmm. the quality of our work mm-hmm. and in the enjoyment of the work. So I'm hearing for you from you, it's meaningful that however you show up personally or in your work, you're staying true to the things you care 
deeply about. And I remember too, you you were pretty vocal about, hey, I've had to mute some people, people I love and yeah. I care about. <laughs> and and it's I, I mean, this is a conversation I have a lot with people too. I'm like, you don't <laughs> the beautiful gift of the mute. They don't have to know, but like let's yes. you know. But I and I think it's an interesting boundary online, but even muting in a respectful way in our life too. Sometimes mm-hmm. we have to really protect our own healing journey and protect our own well-being in the present, regardless mm-hmm. of our history, because it's noisy out there too. And so I, I just really appreciate the the ways that you do it. It isn't attacking, it isn't shrinking from, but it's bold in its in its gentleness and its clarity. So so thank you for naming that and being motivated by caring for those that you see still suffering. And then as a parent, which I get to, I mean, the questions I have with my kids on repeat, they're like, <laughs> I mean, now wait till they get a little bit older. Now they know what they mm-hmm. care about. Like I've got a 12 right. year old now. And she's like, mom, am I fat in this? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, she's, oh my how God. she's rebelling. This is how she's yeah. rebelling. She's just kind of, it's like, tell me, I said, well, what's wrong with fat? You know, and right. what does that mean to you? It's like, Oh, mom, forget it. Forget it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But that's such a great answer, like response to that versus, you know, the natural response our parents would say were, of course not. Of course you don't like that and that. But you're right. The real question is, so what if you do like that? What is? Yeah. So what if you do like what's wrong? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just a trait. It's just a personal trait. And so, yeah, just kind of dismantling some of that. And it'll be interesting you know, my kids are still little, six and three, and it's going to be very interesting as they, you know, get older and, you know, are more aware of of the world. And, you know, they, they're still living a very, like, insulated little life with just me and Brian and our, like, you know, very like, healthy views on the body and all of that. And it's going to get very muddy over time. And I'm sure that'll be a whole other parenting challenge. And I guess I just want to make sure that I'm preparing myself at least you know, to do the very best I can in that area. I'm sure I'll end up, you know, messing up in a lot of other areas because I'm so focused on this area, but I really want to get it right in this area. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think that's the funny is like that. I I always, I joke and say, okay, my kids will be in therapy for issues different than me. And then I'm like, oh wait, that's a wide gap. But I want to, I want to shift the generational challenges. Yeah, it it is at these, and it it is interesting as they start to go through puberty and develop these Mm -hmm. conversations. And I, but I, I think too, as, as a business owner and someone who's in a space that talks about these things, you know, it really is integrated. And, and with that said, you're very intentional about building a business that's aligned with your values. And, you know, and not everyone, oh, I've got my values and it can feel nebulous, but for you and I, and I've known you, gosh, I think over a decade now, Natalie. Mm -hmm. So I know that you, you stick with that and, and in a way that supports your family and your well being. that is something I've always heard you say, like, "Mm, nope, doesn't feel right. Or "Mm, that doesn't feel comfortable or it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You're always really you know, very boundaried around that and aligned. And so many profess this, but I've watched you live this, like I said, for over a decade. What are your core personal and business values? Yeah. Thank you so much, by the way. That's really encouraging to hear you say. And, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, living that way, but of course it feels good to hear you say that. So thank you for affirming that. Certainly authenticity is a big personal value of mine. And we sort of touched on that previously. And I think that that really also taps into why it's, I can't, not also share all these, you know, these other pieces and talk about the, my, you know, my own 
journey, you know, with disordered eating and self-acceptance and all that. And that's because authenticity is so important to me and not in a, you know, spill my guts and be so dangerously vulnerable all the time. I keep a lot of things private, but I always want to make sure even when I'm intentionally keeping things private, that I'm always representing myself, you know, accurately to the people that are around me in my personal life and in my online life. And so authenticity is is really important to me. And so as I'm saying that, that's likely really the answer to the earlier question that you asked, which is why, you know, I, this has been so integrated into my work. So positivity is another value of mine, but not in a like toxic, let's pretend there's no problems way more. So something that I really developed, especially since becoming a mother, realizing how much of a downer motherhood could be and how there was like a lot of negativity around that and like complaining. And that's true with business and entrepreneurship and all that. And I just started to develop a practice of not complaining about things unless I was willing to find a solution to that problem. Mm. You know, there's obviously moments, you know, when I'm just with my husband, I'm like, I'm gonna have a minute here. (laughs) I'm just kind of (laughs) like really complain about something. And then we're going to move on because you have to have that and, you know, have safe spaces for that. But Yeah, I really do value, you know, seeing the silver lining and having a positive outlook. And like I said, when you see something wrong, not just complaining about it, seeing something wrong, and then shifting gears to something that has a positive impact and saying, how can I play a role in making this better? How can we improve the situation? How can we make a change here? And so I do feel like I live that out. And I strive to live that out to have a positive impact on the world around me. And to just not be a negative Nancy. I just don't like to be that way. Sorry to all the Nancys out there for getting <laughs> your name with negativity. So that that's a value of mine. Work-life balance is a value of mine, but that's the hardest one for me personally. I am an Enneagram 3. Are you an Enneagram 3 also? <laughs> so I've, te- I've tested Enneagram 3. And then recently I took a test that says I'm an 8. So I'm in this. And Ooh. I guess those two get get. I believe both kinda- of those. <laughs> so I, I am in a, in a little, I'm in an Enneagram qu- query right now, but I've been thinking I was you a three are. for so long, but now I'm, I'm, I don't know. I just don't know. So I'm one of those two. It's always the why. That's what helped me figure it out was yeah. the why of like, you know, cause sometimes you're right. Like you can, you know, act, we thought my husband was a nine forever. He's a three also, but a lot of his nine behavior was related to how he was the wing. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, I'm an Enneagram three through and through. And so I love to work. I love to be productive and especially I'm doing work that I love. I own my own business. I decide the work that I do. And so finding balance there is something that I struggle with. I've definitely failed at times, but I also always have to remember, you know, my family and the relationship in my life are so important to me. And it's a disservice to those relationships if I let work take over my whole life. And so that's the area I'm working on the most in terms of my own values, but it is something that I value deeply. And so it's worth working on, but I'm not there yet. I'm not achieved total success in that area. (laughs) I remember it wasn't too long ago. uh, We were doing some sort of game and the kids were supposed to do like, like what is, what is a mom gesture? And Mm -hmm. the kids were like typing on the keyboard. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. The kid, my kids will pick up like a pretend phone and be like, I'm working. Like, mom. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, great. I know. You know, but I, for me, I'm with you on that. I have a strong value. I think sometimes I've gotten, and I'm sure you've heard this too, of like this, there was, maybe it was two summers ago. I'm like, you know what? I am polarizing 
my work and my family and the making them it's an either or and I'm done with this. So I did Mm -hmm. a whole shift because I'm like, they're not going to compete. And so that's kind of one of my my tells is if I'm starting to have them go, oh, I'm resenting work or I'm resenting like family Mm -hmm. demands. I'm like, nope. I'm going to reboot. I need to recalibrate because everything I'm doing is for my loves and my family and my work are my loves. So what are your, what are your tells that you're operating outside of your values? What are some of the little tells that come up? You're like, Oh, I I need to recalibrate or reboot. Yeah. Burnout is a real indicator for me that I am majorly out of balance. I will, cause I can just go and like, push aside all of my other needs and focus so much on what I want to achieve. I can be very focused, but then I will completely burn out. This happened to me last fall and I just shut down totally. I not only just like emotionally and physically, I was just totally burnt out. I also like my eczema flared up like crazy. I got Mm. pneumonia in January. Like my everything was, my whole body was like, stop, like stop. So I do feel like I very, like physically, my body will tell me like, you no like we're not doing this anymore. And, and so really last fall and holiday season, I realized I'm like, I don't want to ever have a repeat of that. That was just so obviously work-life balance were way out of whack. And I just got so, I had a really big work opportunity. I was selling my jewelry at Madewell and it was so exciting to me. And I just, you know, I was like, I'm just going to do whatever it takes to make this work. And it took a lot. It took a lot out of me. And it really, as much as it was a great opportunity, it didn't end up being totally worth it for me because it compromised so much of my values and my health and well-being. Not that opportunity itself, but the way that I handled that opportunity. So so I can tell when I, since I am very self-directed and motivated, when I start to have that feeling where I'm like, I just, I just don't want to do anything. I just want to lay on my couch. I just don't want to work anymore. I don't feel like socializing. That's an indicator to me that I am majorly handling my life wrong and over prioritizing work. And I just totally burn out and it becomes obvious. So, so far doing better this holiday season. I don't feel that way. So that's good. And I decided not to do a holiday collection for jewelry, which ended up being a blessing because we're also moving right now. So that worked out really well. We weren't originally planning on moving, but yeah, I just, I realized I was starting to already approach that. When was it? September started realizing as the year was coming to an end that, you know, I was afraid of repeating last year, my assistant, well, one of my assistants had twins earlier this year. My other assistant had just had a baby November 5th, which is, I'm like, what are the chances that they both had babies the same year? But I knew I wasn't going to have help. And I just knew my own limits. I said, I'm not like, this isn't something that I'm, I'm capable of doing. And there's other work that I can do. It doesn't mean I have to totally stop working, but my jewelry business requires a lot of, you know, it's order fulfillment, it's customer service. There's a lot there. And I knew I wasn't going to be capable of that. And so I started to see the direction things were going and I'm proud of myself for not, you know, repeating last year. That was really good because last year to me was a big personal and professional failure on my part, just with the way that I handled my workload. I wasn't proud of that. And I wasn't really proud of, you know, the, the mother that I was and the friend that I was and the wife that I was, I just totally abandoned all the other things for the sake of this, you know, achievement. And it, it just, yeah, I'm like, I don't really want that to be 
what people think of me, like, or how people think of me and they look at me and that's, you know, that's my life. And it just shows that my work is the most important thing to me. And that is just sad to me. I wouldn't want that to be the case. So yeah, I remember when you posted that, you're like, I'm not doing a holiday collection. And I'm like, that's <laughs> badass. I was gonna, I was gonna check in with you about that. You know, because and I'm like, there's a story behind this, mm-hmm. because I know you're so you're so boundary and so intentional with your business, but also your life. And, you know, just going back to what you said about positivity, Mm-hmm. Like your positivity value is not the bypassing. It's not toxic mm-hmm. positivity. It's it's identifying an issue and moving towards solution positivity. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and it's one that isn't just venting. It's it's a holistic approach to positivity. And so I'm thinking even about you said this was a big failure personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And yet you it to me I always say failure is just data. And you collected yeah. data and you integrated mm-hmm. it right away. You're like, and I just see that I I love that about how you lead yourself in your work because you go, okay, collected data, integrate it <laughs> next. It, mm-hmm. But it's like the, the the next made well, the next thing. And I'm sure there's been other things behind the scenes that have come up for you. And I sense that you're filtering kind of the data you collected at the end of last year and beginning mm-hmm. of this year through through these probably big opportunities. Have you mm-hmm. had some big no additional no's that you've said because of that data you collected? Yeah. I mean, I think there's always, yeah, there's always opportunities that are going to arise and it can be tempting to take those opportunities, especially when, yeah, like I said, I love to work and I love to succeed and achieve and make progress and better myself. But I, you know, I have to have that holistic view of my, you know, of myself and the type of person that I want to be. And I can't compromise myself in order to just achieve and be perceived as successful to other people. And that perception Mm -hmm. of success is key with like Enneagram three, I realized. And it kind of called me out when I realized that. Oh, yeah, like, you can easily when you're not in a healthy place, get caught up in I want other people to think of me as being really successful and achieving all of these things. And so you know, I, I really was intentional with my jewelry business, as I already shared. And instead of doing the holiday collection, I ended up actually finding really strategic partners to design pieces for. So I could still do what I love, but I wasn't on the hook for all of the customer service and handling lost packages and all of that, which I normally do during the year. And that's, which is okay when I'm available for that, but I'm just not available for that right now. And so that was a really good solution to that problem. And then with my whole... Instagram business, as I call it, I don't really know what else to call it. Uh, you know, there's opportunities there for partnering with brands and sharing about products that I love. And the, especially this time of year, so many opportunities can arise because brands have, have, you know, it's the end of the year and they realize they have money in their budget or they're trying to push some last products for the holidays. And it can, you know, it can be so, it's such a consuming time. Everyone wants to like buy, buy, buy. And so they partner with people, you know, who have platforms to share about these products and these opportunities will come their way and they're paid opportunities. And that can be hard. That can be hard to say no to because you're like, well, I mean, yes, that extra paycheck would be really great, you know, and I, I'm capable of doing that. I could achieve that. But then, you know, you look at your calendar or, and you see what your schedule is like, or you think through the experience that your community will have if you take on too many things that are sponsored and you have to realize, no, it's not worth it. Even though, yes, would it be, you know, maybe it would be great to have, you know, this extra money. It's better. I'd rather just be a lot more intentional with that and do less things and do the things that really make sense. And I think it ends up being more effective. And I think long-term that has actually helped my relationships with brands because I'm not 
taking every single opportunity that comes my way. And it's hard to say no sometimes, but I do think it's important for long-term wellness of the community that I'm building. Absolutely. I mean, our yeses and our nos and having yeah. clarity are essential. And 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 you just said, you know, long game. And that's what I'm hearing mm-hmm. from you. This is long, yeah. long game work. And, and, you know, you really check, and this is so hard to not let scarcity sneak in, whether it's mm-hmm. about image or about, you know, the health of our business or, you know, whatever that may be, it's so noisy out there. Mm-hmm. But there's not, I mean, I got pneumonia five and a half years ago, and that was the beginning of me making the changes I made today, mm-hmm. slowly pivoting. <laughs> there's something when your body, I've never been that sick. And yeah. it was a game changer. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I got this bad. I've never been that sick. So yeah, those are big lessons. And and so scarcity and like hustling for that doesn't feel like anything matters when you're that sick and you don't feel like you're connecting with those that you care about or Mm -hmm. leading the way that you really want to lead your in your work so i i love that too that you got some strategic partners with your team being out with their new families Mm -hmm. and you kind of still you still have deliver and, and still are delivering even in the holiday season so many people get stuck with this is how it's always been done drives yeah. me crazy mm-hmm. and um, you're like how do we figure it out mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it right yeah because you have to find this like if you're you can't complain about the problem if you're not willing to find a solution and so you know like I said it's like okay I'm just not able I'm not able to do this holiday collection it's not realistic and yeah my assistants aren't available and they're like you said they're starting their families and building their families and they'll be back next year but for now how do I solve this problem? You know, what, what can we do? What can be done? And you're right. You have to be willing, especially as an entrepreneur, I think to think outside the box and think, how can I do this differently? It doesn't always have to be the same. And you don't want to, you don't want to keep it the same all the time. That's where you get really stuck. If you really want to continue to grow and expand, you have to be willing to make changes. And like you said, take in, you know, observe what's working, see what's not working and get rid of the stuff that's not working to make room for more of what is actually working so that you can grow. Yeah. And, you know, with authenticity and positivity and work as your core values, that's you're filtering that through all of mm-hmm. these decisions. And I think when we really are clear on our core values, it really is a game changer. It makes those hard yeses or nos easier because mm-hmm. you feel aligned. And, and again, the memory of being really sick. I mean, for me, it was a lot longer yeah. than you, but I'm like, I never again, mm-hmm. <laughs> never. It's again. true. I will never forget that. I agree. I've never been sicker. My husband was out of work for two full weeks to like take care of me and the kids and all their needs. I was, I agree. It's like, that's ingrained in me now. And you're, it's, that's a beautiful thing too, that the body can cling to that memory as a reminder of, you know, let's not do that again. Let's, let's avoid that. Not that you only get pneumonia when you overwork yourself, but I know for my, in my case, my body was so overworked. My immune system just like could not handle the stress and it just shut down, just completely shut down. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I think you and I are alike in that sense too, where we love what we're doing. So that little, Mm -hmm. like kind of, you know, like it's like the hunger fullness cues for some, it's Mm -hmm. the work rest, work rest cues are a little different. And yeah. All of a sudden, it's like I'm going to bed, even if all the ideas are coming, I'll like put mm-hmm. them all in a recorder or put it. I've yeah. posted notes right by my desk right here. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I had to download ideas last night and get myself to bed. Because I remember when you said about burnout is one of your tells, and you kind of operationalized that back to when you start to feel lethargic and not motivated and not creative. Those are your tells that, you know, something's going on. I remember I had a supervisor 
in my 20s say, well, maybe you just need to burn out and then just leave the job. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, you just, you just give it your all. And I'm like, this is the culture. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, and I, I I mean this, he, he's older than both of us. And so maybe there's a generational piece there of just full body sacrifice. Yeah. But we still, we still in our particular culture, the hustle and the, Mm -hmm. and again, this, I'm I'm not talking about people who are dealing with real scarcity going, I got to freaking have food on the table keep the roof over the, you know, that's right. not what I'm talking about when it's those times it's, it's game on when you're in that space. I've been there. We've all been there in our journey of just like, this is what we got to do to make ends meet. That's not what I'm talking about. It's just, it's more connected to this belief of worthiness and mm-hmm. not respecting that not everything has to be fast and right now. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, billions of dollars are spent to have us believe we need a product or service now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's true. That's, it's true. And it's kind of, it's greedy of us, especially when we're coming from a place where, okay, I, my bills will be paid. Like I, I will make enough money this year. Our bills will be paid. Our mortgage will be paid. We will eat food and we're fine. And so then it's, it can be really greedy to then push yourself to burn out and sacrifice your relationships in your life and your family and their needs just for the sake of, of wanting more success in your life. And I think I, you know, and I never want to hold back my own ambitions. I'm very ambitious and I love to push things forward and grow, but I, I want to do so without compromising, you know, the, the relationships in my life and my family. And so not to get so greedy all the time and make that be the end all be all. Like you said, there's all, cause you can always work harder and do more, but it costs, it, there's a cost to that. And is it really worth it? You know, when you look at the whole scope of your life, like work is good and it's fulfilling and it's valuable and I love to work and I probably always will work, but you know, my life isn't about that. My life is about my children and my husband and my friends. And so you have, you do have to take a more holistic view and be willing to, to make sacrifices with your work for the sake of those other things. You know, we sometimes can work like we're going to live forever too. And that's not the case either. You know, we're never promised another day. I really value my every opportunity, every day I get, you know, wake up and I'm alive and I'm here. And I think when we hustle, 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 when we're, when we're not in that place where we're just putting food on the table, like you said, it's a totally different situation. But when we've, you know, set ourselves up and things are working out, all the bills we paid and all that, and then we just continue to hustle, it's we're not being really good stewards of the time we've been given, you know? Yeah, but isn't it hard? I know for me, it took me a while to help my nervous system feel comfortable downshifting. Like mm-hmm. it was almost because the go, go, go that yeah. coming down and trying to retrain and having more space and not booking mm-hmm. every minute and doing every minute. This has been several years of me just slowly teasing out the the kind of workaholic protector part of me that was like this the shadow side of my loves. Right. And mm-hmm. did, did you feel that when you started? I mean, cause you had that crash, but do you, sometimes it's like, oh, I've got an idea or mm-hmm. like, I'm, yeah. And so, yeah, it's just, I think sometimes it feels, does it feel weird downshifting even though like, you know, intellectually, but it feels weird. It does. It does feel weird. You know, the times when I know that I could get more work done today, if I just let my son watch a movie, my son and daughter watch a movie and I just like get on my computer and do a little work. But instead I choose to like go to the park 
and and just like sit there. Like that feels that is that's a little hard for me still. Sometimes I'm like, but I kind of I wish I was like doing this or getting this done. But I'm always glad that I went to the park with them. I'm always glad that I spent that time with them. But you're right, it, it is it feels a little awkward to shift in that way. And I think that the more we do it, the more practice we get and that, the easier it does become, but it is For sure. uncomfortable sometimes. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's not an intellectual thing. It's just, even in my body, it feels, it feels a little scattered sometimes, but the one thing I do need is go for that walk, go to the park, mm-hmm. go play catch, yes. you know, snuggle on the couch and watch one of my son's show, like these weird Lego shows or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. Loves, I know they watch the, the random snuggle. stuff. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Is your son the snuggler too? Oh, he is such a snuggler. And this is now recorded. But yes. And I'm like, (laughs) we have this little thing where I'm like, I love you. And he's like, I love you more. And I'm like, will you say that forever? Right. I asked him two years ago and he goes, he was on his way to school back in the day when we were doing drop off. Right. And he goes, maybe through high school. (laughs) Right. And I said, I'll take it. I'll take take what I can get. Yeah. He is such a snuggler. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to cherish every minute of that. You said something else that brought up a curiosity about really owning your ambitions. You're like, I am ambitious. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's been an interesting word for me because I've really claimed my ambitions. It's just kind of this neutral thing, but I've, over the years I've picked up like, oh, you're so ambitious. I get this sometimes Mm -hmm. from people like it's, I'm like, Ooh, that didn't feel like a compliment. That felt like it was a dirty (laughs) word. You know, so I've just started paying attention to that over the years where I thought that's just kind of everyone has their ambitions, whatever they are, whether they're hanging out at home, working, running a household to running Mm -hmm. a, you know, a a CEO of a company and everything between. I just kind of looked at that, but I've noticed there's some baggage with Mm -hmm. that word. What have you noticed around that word, especially as you claim it? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, you know, especially as women, it's can be, you know, we can be, it can be viewed as a negative thing to be an ambitious woman. I do see things changing and I like that for sure. But yeah, it's not always a compliment to women to be ambitious. And because there's some kind of assumption there that you're, you know, you're not taking care of your family and it, it is an, it's an old school way of thinking. And I try to, you know, I try to give grace and know that maybe it's not always someone's intention to be hurtful with, with their, you know, their view, but it is, it is hurtful. And, you know, who's to say that I'm not allowed to be as ambitious as my husband is. And at the same time, my husband is just as involved in our family as I am, you know, we, and that's how it works. People ask me, how do you get all this stuff done? I'm like, well, I have a super supportive and involved partner and that's how I get things done. I'm not, doing all of the parenting things and running this whole business. I have ambitions. My husband has ambitions. He loves that I am ambitious. And we have teamed together to you know, raise our children together. It's a true partnership. And I think that that really helps. But yeah, there's certainly some negativity there with women and with ambition. I've noticed at times since I share about style, I share about a clothing item that is expensive there will be criticism. There'll be criticism. And I asked my husband, I'm like, do you, does, do you ever get asked about how much your suit costs? Like, and it's like, if anything, <laughs> he's celebrated more probably because if his suit is more expensive or if his car is nicer, I got criticism about the car that I purchased for myself that I purchased for myself, not like a sponsored post or anything like that. I got criticized for that. I've gotten criticized for, you know, yeah, spending my money in the way that I feel like spending my money and 
and I don't, it's not like I share every single thing on the internet, but it's really interesting. I just don't know that I'd be receiving this same criticism if I were not a woman. And I don't like to like totally play the like gender card here, but it's a pattern and I do see it. I don't experience it a ton, but I, that this year I've noticed that a bit. I'm like, oh, I wonder if, if I was a man, if you would be asking me those same questions or criticizing me in that same way, you know, for the work that I do or the way that I spend my money. It's interesting. Well, I don't see it as a gender card. It's just a fact. It's like that yeah. there is a discrepancy there. You know, that is such an interesting question. No, I hear you too. And it, it's interesting, even my husband, who's very hands-on and we're celebrating 16 years in a couple wow. of weeks, a wedding oh, anniversary. <laughs> and as a child, and as a child of divorce, this has been like something mm. really important to, to me. And we were talking about that. And he, he also is like, I'm like, I could, I would get asked like, you know, is your husband okay with you being successful? I'm right. like, what a weird question. So I go, is this weird? He was like, no, it's one of the things I love mm-hmm. about you. And I'm like, yeah. why are people asking that? So we obviously dug around and unpacked a lot mm-hmm. of gender norms and right. stereotypes and it sh- shifted who we, who our social support is, right? Mm-hmm. To talk deep about work and dreams, but also just really care deeply about family mm-hmm. and integrate all of it together is there's just a lot of energy, a lot of Mm -hmm. opinions. And it can, I remember for a while early as a parent, I had to kind of reboot my support. Mm -hmm. I kind of had to clear the decks and go, wait a second, (laughs) who's speaking Mm -hmm. into my life right now? Yeah. Yeah. You're right though about, I love what you said about how your husband loves your ambition. And that's probably one of the things he loves most about you. And he was probably drawn to that about you. You know, when he married you, I feel the same way you know, with my husband, but it's, and, and that's the thing is everyone's marriage is different. Everyone's relationship is different, but yeah, it it does really help to have a partner who like not only accepts that about us, but obviously loves that about us and, and celebrates that and is willing that, you know, that they're willing to make the sacrifices on their end in order to see us live those things out. And just as we do for them, you know, that's where, you know, that's how a marriage works that, that thrives. You know, like I said, 16 years, we're going on 10 years now. And I think that that support for one another is really key. You know, and it's interesting because he also is the first one to say, I love that you love what you do, mm-hmm. but you need a timeout. He's the one that yeah. can call me in the first, he's probably one of the only people I can listen to when I'm in that zone and mm-hmm. things have shifted. Obviously this year with the pandemic, it's been, I've been having a lot more, it's been, it's been a hard stop that's helped me go to the next level of what I wanted for more of an integration of things. But yeah, he's also the one that's like, okay, yeah, this is now you're going from, mm-hmm. this is awesome to the shadow of this and and it's not okay. And I've got some people in my life. Do you have people in your life too that can also just kind of help check it if you're not seeing it too, when you're, you're all in with all your loves? Yeah, certainly my husband. And then I do have other friends who are you know, fellow entrepreneurs. And it's really nice to be able to have those, you know, open conversations, check in, how are you doing? You know, are you overwhelmed in this way? Like, and just have where they really get it too. They get the the pull to work and to be, you know, growing and all that. And then, so that's helpful. And at the same time, I also have several close, close friends who are stay-at-home moms. And I feel like they really keep me in check too, because I will, you know, when I will talk to them and hear about their lives and, and, you know, just, get in touch, it, it puts things into perspective too. And makes me realize, you know, I was talking to one of my friends about how I felt like I was like working every night. I'm like, what do you like? I just feel like we're working every single night. We put the kids to bed and she's like, you don't just like pour a glass of wine and watch a movie. I was like, 
I don't, I, I would like to do that. That's a really good idea. And it was like, I hadn't even thought of that as an option. I just think, oh, I put my kids to bed and then I get more work done. And that's part of that's 2020 because, you know, all of our schedules are different. But just even that, having a friend who she doesn't work and she just gave me, you know, just the simplest little something. And that just kind of helped me reset and realize, oh, it's not really necessary or normal to work every single night after we put our kids to bed. We should really no. be pouring a glass of wine and, you know, lounging and watching a movie and, you know, or sitting by the fire pit or whatever that is. And so I feel like it's a mix of those things. But again, relationship and within the context of great relationships that helps us be our best self. And that's why it's also so important to not sacrifice all of our relationships for the sake of success. Because when you have these relationships, it does, it's like a checks and balances thing. And it does keep you in check. And, and then people can really notice when things are off or, you know, wow, how are you doing? You seem really overwhelmed. Like something so simple like that from a trusted friend is very, you know, eye opening. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, I guess if you're noticing it, it must be true. And then I can kind of, you know, dig a little deeper and examine that. So I think that having close relationships in your life, obviously, is beneficial for so many reasons, but that reason as well. Yeah. And I and it's, it's, it's like the, the way that they they check in too. it's not like, oh, you're neglecting your family, or oh, right. you're neglecting your business. It's are you okay? And hey, right. I'm noticing this about you. And that's I think that to me has been such a sick a measure of success too is mm-hmm. the support that I have around me, the quality of that and 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 the capacity that I can be all in with work and all in with my family. And they're all mm-hmm. in the same pool and I'm not gonna have them compete like I'd shared earlier. Mm-hmm. One of the things I wanted to ask you about too was your ability, you've developed this really pr- strong practice of focusing on one thing at a time. And I know that you do have mm-hmm. a couple things like balls in the air, but for me, I used to, I get, I was the idea person for so long and I'd put every mm-hmm. throw spaghetti on the wall and then I was so <laughs> exhausted. It's yeah. so slowly dialing back from all these things over the years and really honing in, even as I'm looking at 2021 to scaffold, you know, I, I joke and say my eyes are often bigger than my calendar. <laughs> so having to rein that in. So how do you keep yourself from getting caught up with the shiny sparkly syndrome, you know, and, and with your own awesome ideas and how do you decide mm-hmm what business idea to pursue next? Yeah, I really don't like to feel like I'm out of control with my work. I like to feel competent and confident in what I'm doing. And that preference of mine really makes it hard for me to do too many things at once because it's impossible Mm -hmm. to do all the things and to do them well. And so my need to feel competent in the work that I'm doing and to do things well sort of tempers that. And I feel like I then I don't really move on to the next thing until I feel like I have a really strong grasp on what I'm doing right then. So, you know, my, well, my Instagram business and jewelry business sort of grew at the same time, but I didn't really put that much specific focus and energy into the Instagram side of things other than for the sake of my jewelry business until I felt like my jewelry business was at a really great place and thriving and going well and had a good system going on. And then I was able to transition into, okay, how do I expand you know, and grow with intentionality, this community that we're developing on Instagram. I recently started teaching style classes, but I thought about that for a really long time. And I only did so from a place of, again, those other two pieces being in place and feeling like, okay, I'm in my groove there. That's like running really smoothly. I don't feel like it's, you know, obviously it's a lot of work, but it's not, I'm not in the figuring it out mode right now. It's, it's more established and I feel competent there. And so that to me, is a guide and I don't really like to move on to the next thing until I feel really comfortable with what's working already or 
can push something else aside that's not working so that I can make that time and space for that. And I think that the, the you know, adding new things, it does, it's sort of, a lot of these ideas come to me when I'm like taking a drive. Some people it's in the shower. I find if I'm just like taking a drive and listening to music and especially if like my kids are not in the car with me, <laughs> like by myself, just like driving to the grocery store, but no one's like, mom, mom, mom. And you're just by yourself. Then, you know, those, those ideas will come and then I can start to think them through. I don't really make impulsive decisions in general. And that's part of that's probably just my personality. And I am an only child. I don't know if that's relevant to the conversation, but I think that being an only child and being very like self-directed my whole life probably also plays into, you know, how I handle business and all of that. But then the ideas will come and I'll try to think, you know, think them through and think about, does this make sense for me? Does this feel like this fits? Is this, you know, maybe it's a good idea, but is this such a stretch? And, you know, and then I can kind of think it, think it through, but yeah, I really don't like to move on to the next thing until I feel like I'm, you know, pretty okay, at least in what I'm already working on. I loved how you brought the words confident and competent together Mm -hmm. as your filter for the next thing, because confidence is one of the qualities of self-leadership, one of the methodologies Mm -hmm. that I do in my my clinical and my leadership work, this sense of confidence. But the competency, it's bringing me up to this book called by Charles Feltman. He has a thin book of trust. And one of the key components of of building trust is competence. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, this is fascinating. Like, are, am, am I competent or am I seen as competent to get mm-hmm. this done? And mm-hmm. then, and do I have the confidence, you know, not, not hubris, but just the confidence right. to, mm-hmm. to execute it. So I just wrote that down. I'm like, Ooh, confident and competent as kind of a filter mm-hmm. as you're ba- you know, you're adding something new or you're kind of shifting in your business. I love that. That's really yeah. helpful. Mm-hmm. Really cool. So one, one final question I want you to share about that. I really valued how you handled, you stopped being an ambassador and, and an ambassador. You might want to talk about what an ambassador mm-hmm. is in, in, the Instagram influencer world for a brand that you love. And that I love too, after hearing from their community and yours that about their failings and making really substantive changes that honor diversity, equity, and inclusion. And mm-hmm. I'd love for you to share what your process of hearing those concerns were and, and how that led you to finally making the decision to stop being a brand ambassador with that company. Yeah, that was that was big. That was big this year. So for those of you who don't fully know the Instagram business, you know, those of us who are considered quote influencers, you know, we'll have these partnerships. That word is so funny, but it's accurate. It's true. We'll have, you know, a brand partnership where, you know, we're often have a relationship that's a paid partnership. And with this company that was, it was a paid relationship where on an ongoing basis, we're sharing about them and, you know, talking about them, linking to their products, wearing their product for me for style content, wearing their products. So this is a brand that I have, you know, and I still love, still wear their clothes, still love them, but had a long-term contract with them. And a lot of stuff came out this summer that was concerning to say the least. And I, I did, I don't just hear things and then assume they're true. I like to dig a lot deeper because there's two sides to every story. And then there's also the truth. Like there's, there, there's always, there's, or, there's a lot. Or three or four or five yeah, sides. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so hearing, you know, it was one of those things where at first you hear something and you're like, oh, you know, you hear stuff in the news. You're like, I don't, okay, I don't know. And you just kind of like move along. But then more stuff keeps coming up. You're like, okay, I need to pay, this is something to be paying attention to. And especially like you said, hearing from, you know, people in my community expressing concerns and asking me like, have you heard this? Or sending articles, did you read this? And so then you have to pay attention to that. That's just the responsible thing to do. So I hear these concerns. I dig a little deeper. I 
And I hear that side of the story. I then had the opportunity to be on a call with the CEO of this company, along with some other key influencers that are, you know, are, were ambassadors for this brand as well. And I felt that was also a very important piece of the puzzle. Like I said, not just hearing one side, hearing, you know, the company side and their perspective, like, why is this happening? What's going on? What are you doing to make changes? What, what's your story here? What, like, let's hear your side as well. And then to be able to filter all of that information through and then make a decision from there. I ultimately felt uncomfortable moving forward with this paid partnership. And so I, thankfully they were so respectful of my decision. It was a hard choice because this is a brand that from the very beginning has treated me with such respect has been, was the first brand to maybe one of the first brands to pay me fairly my fees rather than brands will just, you know, you give them your fees and they, you know, give you, they're like, oh, we don't have the budget for that. Or, you know, and they make excuses and they don't pay you really what your time is worth. This brand was so good to me. So this was, so it was a really hard choice for me because I stand by all of their clothes and I was so well treated and I didn't have that experience at all. But just because I didn't have that experience doesn't mean other people didn't have that experience. And so I had to dig into that. And I just ultimately realized that I needed to take a pause. I'm not into cancel culture. I don't like to just say, you know, we're done. Let's shut it down. But it just, I didn't feel comfortable moving forward. And so I reached out to them. I said, you know, I'd like to end my contract a couple months early. I just think that there's a lot of, you know, obviously you guys need to figure out your stuff and I'm rooting for you. And I really would love to, you know, work together again in the future. Once these things are figured out, I really love, you know, your products and all that. And they were so great about it. Totally understood, respected that decision and which I'm thankful for, you know. I easily could have, you know, I'm sure I could have been stuck in that contract if they wanted to, you know, be difficult and it was easy and they, they were respectful of it. And so that relationship's on hold for now. I, ha- I have reached out about working together over the holidays and I just didn't quite feel comfortable still. There's still some customer service issues as well. And I like to make sure if I'm sending, you know, my community to shop at a brand that I feel like they're just going to get a great experience. And so there's kind of two pieces of the puzzle there. There's the internal relationship with their company culture. And there's also like the experience that customers are going to get. And those pieces weren't quite there. So I'm really rooting for them. I really want them to succeed. I think that they make great products. I still wear their clothes and I'm hopeful that things can you know resume in the new year. But it was a really good, it was a good experience in realizing like, you know, kind of like we talked about before that it's okay to pivot. It's okay to realize this isn't quite working. I don't feel comfortable with this, you know, especially when I'm being in this experience, I'm being paid to represent, help represent this brand. And obviously I'm still sharing my own thoughts and opinions and all that, but it just didn't feel right to be paid by this company and then to be sharing about it when there's all this stuff going on in the background. And I felt like it was really going to only make it harder for them to actually improve in the way that they wanted to, if I continue to do that. So it was a new experience for me as the first time I've ever done that. And it was scary to me as well, just on a professional level. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to be perceived. I don't know how this is going to go, but it went over really well, like I said, with the brand. And I think that I continue, I just deepened trust with my own community as well for them to realize that, you know, I will stay true to my values here. I'm not just going to, you know, take, take a check and not care about what's going to happen. And it, it made me realize too, moving forward in experiences with brands, if I, you know, if I uncover something 
new and I don't feel comfortable with the relationship anymore, I have the power to, to make a change there and I can make a different choice and I'm not just stuck in that. And, and also probably will shape how I handle my contracts moving forward as well, you know, and, and the brands that I choose to work with. Though, I mean, saying that, I don't know if I could have done it differently. Thinking back, I mean, I felt confident partnering with that brand. And like I said, I still feel confident in their products and everything. So, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it was, a, it was a new experience for me. I'm glad that I did it. But like I said, I really do hope that I can work with them again and that they can turn things around. I really do want to see them succeed. I don't, I don't know. I don't have... I have only good thoughts and wishes for them. You know, like I just, for everyone's sake too, anyone that works at that company, this is so vague, but I don't want to call out the company. So I don't want to say who they are. I'm sure a lot of people listening, if they follow me, will know who it is. But yeah, it was an interesting, it was an interesting professional experience to say the least. Yeah. And you, you, you shared with the community, this is, I thought that was incredible leadership on your end. You shared the process and mm-hmm. after you did your research, you shared this, you, and I thought mm-hmm. this is, it's the antithesis of cancel culture because mm-hmm. there's relationship there. You were mm-hmm. maintaining, there was still respect with disagreement mm-hmm. or a mis- respect with misalignment. There was still humanizing. There wasn't, even though they were making choices that were definitely leaving people feeling dehumanized. Mm-hmm. And so, and you, you even said, well, this wasn't my experience, but that doesn't mean it's okay for me to still be with them because mm-hmm. I'm hearing this enough. And I, and you modeled the, the, you know, your communication and I think that really called up a lot of people in how to handle these situations in a time where, yeah, we're, we're very divided and yeah, we need to have more compa- accountability and boundaries, but we can do it with fierce empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciated the nuance of that because it really was not as much about the company. To me, this question is more about your process. And for you, your key takeaways, you mentioned mm-hmm. maybe looking at your contracts differently. Are there any mm-hmm. other key takeaways from or learnings from this experience? Yeah, I certainly, I I think it makes you a little bit more critical of when you have an opportunity to have a long-term relationship with a brand to, you know, think about it even more critically. I already was, you know, highly selective with those things, but I think even more so I will be, you know, or even if it's a brand that I'm just starting to work with and there's an opportunity for a longer contract, maybe have, okay, let's start with, you know, maybe three months and then we'll work from there. And so just maybe shaping, yeah, shaping contracts differently, thinking things through, you know, really before you get in with a brand for these long-term partnerships, because you do, especially since authenticity is such a value of mine, I want to make sure that the brands that I'm partnering with are aligned with my own values and I'm representing them. And that doesn't mean that every single thing has to be exactly perfect, but just generally speaking, I, you know, I don't want to ever share about brands that I don't feel confident in the way that their company's running or the the way that they're doing things to the best of my knowledge, you know? And so it just shined light on that. And, you know, and like I said, it did give me a lot of confidence in a new confidence in myself because this was a new experience for me just as a business person in in handling a situation where, okay, I'm here. I'm in this contract. I got myself into this position. How do I make, how do I make this work so that I, you know, what's best for, for me, for the brand, for my community, for just, you know, everyone in the situation. And it doesn't have to be me just, you know, sucking it up and finishing out my contract that there was another option there of how about we just hit pause on this for a little bit and you guys figure your stuff out and I'm going to hit pause here and then wish you the best and support you in whatever way I can as you improve. And then, you know, let's check back in, in a little bit after you've made some improvements, you know, it was, it was a better option than just saying, Oh, like you're dead to me. We're not like, you know, 
this because that's that's not a good situation you know think about how many people work for this company like i don't want the company to go out of business i want those people to have their jobs and and i want to see them succeed because they like i said they make great products and so i felt like it was a good it was a good option but it does yeah it does make you think moving forward you know i guess like what are the things that could go wrong <laughs> you know with future partnerships and so it just makes you a little bit your eyes are open a little bit more especially i i think i can assume the best in people, which is a good trait, but then sometimes that can be a bad trait because it is totally. it is good to also think about how things could go wrong. And so it was a bit eye opening in that experience as well. Like, okay, making sure, you know, is everything above board here? Did you have any pushback from your community on how you handled this? No, I actually got a really, I had a really good response. And I think probably since I, I did end up doing a blog post sharing that process of, you know, what the process that I went through to come to that decision. And I think that that was really helpful and let people in on, you know, it was not an impulse decision. I definitely was getting pushed at the very beginning when the news came out, I was getting a lot of negative messages from people saying, how could you support this brand? And not, not the helpful ones they are like, have you read this? What's your thought on this? Negative ones that were assuming things about me, assuming a lot. And that's where the, like the darkness of the internet, you know, comes into play. And I, and I really hated that. That was disappointing to me. But ever, but they didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. They didn't know that, you know, as soon as I realized that this was something to be like really happening, that I, you know, got on a call with the CEO of this company, you know, and that I took it very seriously. I wasn't taking it lightly, but kind of like with my own experience sharing with my, about my eating disorder and coming from a place of healing, I didn't want to share about the situation until I had the information to share about it. And so I just didn't like that there were a lot of assumptions being made. I hate, I just in general, I hate when people make assumptions about me and my character. I'm sure everybody hates that. And that's a hard thing about having a very public life at times is people are going to make assumptions about you and you just have to learn to have thick skin and move on. But once I did share, you know, how I handled it and my perspective, I got a lot of great support. And I do get follow up messages from people asking, you know, what's what's the status of your relationship with this company, all that and I'll handle those privately. And, and I'm sure once I decide to partner with this brand again, you know, there'll be a lot more conversation that has to come into play there and share, you know, my perspective and why I made that choice. So... <laughs> You guys hear any splobbering? My dog just came up to say hello. <laughs> Listeners can't see, but Hank the pony dog just made an appearance on, in, in the interview. You know, thank you for all that. And I hope you continue to share because I think we have a lot to learn. It's not, I mean, it's fun to, to you know, you help me shop, you save time because we have similar style and I love to be exposed to some new things that you share. But to me, it's about how you share and how you communicate things that's had such an impact on me and I think calls the internet up. So I'm very, very grateful for your leadership, Natalie. I really appreciate you. How can people find you and connect with you? Thank you so much, Rebecca. You can find me at natalieborton.com, also blog.natalieborton.com. And I'm on Instagram at just Natalie Borton, just my first name, last name. And I hope that you guys will come and find me and say hello and join the community there. I'd love to, ha to have you and meet you. Send me a DM if you, you know, hear this interview and you're new, I'd love to meet you. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Natalie. Keep up the amazing work. And again, just grateful for all that you do and how you show up. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thanks for having me today. If you compromise your values by externalizing your worthiness and safety in the name of success, then your business, then your life, then your well-being are destined to lead to burnout. But burnout's not a sign of failure or value judgment. 
just data on where you need to realign to your values and refocus your definition of success. Because when burnout shows up, as it does with ambitious and deeply committed people like you, let me repeat again, it's so important to not see it as a sign of failure, but instead as data to collect. And so you can recalibrate how you do life and business. It is also critical you drill down on your core values, on your definition of success, and get clear where you tend to externalize your worthiness and safety. Commit to this as a lifelong recalibration practice, as opposed to the misguided mindset of just fixing it and being done with it. This is a lifelong practice because we live in a world that invests billions of dollars to impact our beliefs about ourselves, about our safety, about our worthiness and our actions. And because none of us are immune to really good marketing. Natalie gave us a lot of wisdom on how she integrates her business with her values. She also taught us that even the best opportunities can lead to burnout sneaking up on us and how to take the data from those experiences and use it to build a stronger plan for work and life. So what's your definition of success? How have your ambitions moved you from being aligned to your values to setting you up for burnout? What are your core values and what are the clues that let you know you're drifting away from them? When you have clarity on these questions and commit to checking in on them regularly is when burnout will stop impacting your life and business. Contrary to many of the messages in culture, burnout is not a badge of honor. It is hard to avoid burning out when you're all in with work and life. One of the best ways to prevent burnout or recover from it is getting clear on your values. It is one thing naming your values and another to living them out and developing practices and commitments that support them on a daily basis. Our values inform our boundaries and help us stay focused on a healthy definition of success. Leading is hard. Leading is often controversial as you navigate staying aligned to your values, your mission, and your boundaries. Navigating the inevitable controversy can challenge your confidence, clarity, and calm. Now, you don't mind making the hard decisions, but sometimes the stakes seem higher and can bring up echoes of old doubts and insecurities during times when you need to feel rock solid on your plan and action. Finding a coach who gets the nuances of your business and leading in our complex and polarized world can help you identify the blocks that keep you playing it safe and small. Leading today is not a fancy title or fluff or bragging rights. It is brave and bold work to stay the course when the future is so unknown and the doubts and pains from the past keep showing up to shake things up. Internal emotional practices and systemic strategies are needed to keep the protector of cynicism at bay and foster hope that is actionable and aligned. When the stakes are high and you don't want to lose focus, when you want to navigate inevitable conflict between your ears and with those you lead, when time is of the essence and you want to make hard decisions with confidence and clarity, then unburdened leader coaching is for you and where you deepen the capacity to tolerate the vulnerability of change, innovation, and doing things differently than the status quo. To start your unburdened leader coaching process with me, go to www.rebeccaching.com and book a free consultation call. I can't wait to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining this episode of The Unburdened Leader. 
You can find this episode, show notes, and free Unburdened Leader resources, along with ways to work with me at www.rebeccaching.com. 